ahead and have a seat. We will get started here in just a moment. not in physical appearance. We're going to start with a word of prayer, and then we will be in Luke chapter 19. So Bob, would you read us, please? Father, I just thank you so much for this day. Father, thank you for giving us life, and thank you for giving us life in our, our Savior, cleansing us from our sin, and giving us your spirit in us. And I thank you so much for stumble through this life, banging around in, in the darkness and experiencing all the, all of the pain and the mourning and, and, and the hopelessness that so many in this world do. Father, I just pray that you would help us to love and value your, your word as we spend time in it. Help us to, to know Jesus better and to be closer to him. And, uh, Father, please just uh, touch the pastor's heart and mind to, to teach us and guide us. How many people, how many people are seeking God? Okay, exactly zero. And how do we know that? Where does it tell us? Okay, yeah, so Psalm 53, Psalm 14, which Paul then quotes in Romans 3.11 and says, no one seeks for God. So, um, sometimes you hear people talking in that language of you know, seeking after God, but that is not the case. What does it mean to be lost? You're a non-believer. You don't believe in Jesus. Okay. Right. And by using the word lost, what kind of things are we pointing at? You're right. Okay, that's why, right? Okay, so clearly you guys can't read my mind on this one, so I'll just tell you what I was thinking. <laughs> Thank you. So to be lost, just in the basic idea of the word is, you're not where you want to be or need to be. So think of a kid that's lost. They're in the neighborhood somewhere. You don't know where they are. They don't know where they are. They're not where they need to be. And another piece of being lost is you don't know how to get back. Okay, so... Lost in a, just a general way means at least that. And then spiritually, it's we're not in a place where we want or need to be spiritually. We don't know God. We're still in our sin. We don't know how to get there. And as we just saw, we're not looking for God. So we're really in big trouble. But thankfully, what was Jesus' mission in his own words after he was done talking to Zacchaeus? Seek and save. So search and rescue, right? We're lost. We're not looking for God. He comes looking for us. We're lost. We can't rescue ourselves. He comes to save us. So we need both. It won't do to just have Jesus die for our sins, but we don't know how to get there. So he had to come seek us and save us from our sins. Okay, so that was the story of Zacchaeus that we looked at last week. And then we also talked about what is stewardship. 
stewardship? Just the definition. Caring for something entrusted to you by others. Okay, very good. So it belongs to somebody else, and it's been entrusted to us. So what are some things, as believers, we have been entrusted with as stewards? Extra points if you can think of a verse that goes with it. Oh, man, okay. Okay, give us a verse. <laughs> okay, okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay. Kyle gets extra points. <laughs> Can we get more specific than everything? Our talents. What do you mean by talents? Things that were given to us by God. Like? So why don't we look at some specifics? How about time? Ephesians 5. Would somebody read Ephesians 5, 16? Ephesians 5, 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay. Maybe um, you have a version that says redeeming the time or buying back the time, making wise use of it. Right? We've been given 168 hours a week. Nobody gets any more than that. Nobody gets any less than that. Make the most of it. Make it count. Right? Chris mentioned money. Um, we already saw that in Luke 16. Would somebody read Luke 16, 9, and 10? Nine and ten. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. <clears throat> one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And one more specific under the umbrella of everything is spiritual gifts. First Peter four, ten and eleven. First Peter four. 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the man, manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, it is it is so as who as one who is serving by the strength of the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. So who has a spiritual gift according to these verses? Each one. So every single believer, no exceptions, has at least one spiritual gift. What are we supposed to do with that gift that we have or have been entrusted with? What's the verb? Okay, well, employ it, right? Employ it. 
use it, put it to use in, and then the way we do that is serving one another. But what's the image of how we serve? As what? Good stewards. Hmm. So you've been entrusted with a gift. You're supposed to use it to serve others, and it's in the category of stewardship. You will be called to give an account for what you did with the spiritual gift you've been given in serving others. Does that make sense? Okay. So what are the only two categories of stewards, both in the parable of the miners and in the parable of the talents that's in Matthew 25? Two categories. <coughs> Some will hear what? What do you want to hear? Well done, good, and faithful servant or slave. What's the other, only other category? Wicked, worthless, lazy. Okay? It's a pretty big spectrum. You're either over here or you're over here. There's not middle ground. Which I just think should get our attention. There's nothing in the middle there. You're either one or the other. So, Tess, look like you had your hand up. Well, I just was thinking, too, that we're stewards of the gospel. Yes, of course. And you have a verse? You're right. But the Great Commission. That works. Um, then I was thinking about Good. So we're all entrusted with the gospel. We're all called to be witnesses or ambassadors, whatever term you like best, but to represent Christ to those who don't know him. Stewards of our children. Yes. They're entrusted to us for roughly 18 years in the home. Uh, it kind of shifts after they leave the home, but... They're entrusted to us, right? They're not ours. <laughs> They're entrusted by God, and we get to pour into their lives and then launch them and pray that God will bless what we did. Any other? We don't want to cut off how many things we could be stewards of. I mean, as Kyle already said, it's everything, so I mean, we could be here for a long time. <laughs> but especially if you have a biblical category, that'd be great. Okay, so like, what were you thinking at? Um, supporting the church. Right, right. So yeah, our, how we use our finances is definitely part of what's been entrusted to us. It's not ours. But, okay, so any other thoughts, comments, or questions on either Jesus' visit to Zacchaeus and what happened there or his parable of the minas? Well, let's proceed on in Luke 19. Would somebody please read 28 through 35? Luke 19, starting at 28 through 35. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to um, Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain, all of it that he sent two of his disciples saying go into the village opposite you 
whereas you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you losing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. Okay, thank you. So, what are some different ways Jesus could have entered Jerusalem? Walking. There's two ways he could have walked in. One is in John 7, verse 10. He came in secretly, unannounced, just sort of slipped in. Okay? So the opposite of that would have been he could have come in publicly, walking. How else could he have come in? Splendidly. Splendidly. Like, at least a nice white horse. Chariot would be a nice touch. Angels would be definitely a crowd, crowd stopper. Um, so why is he arranging for a donkey? To fulfill a little prophecy. Like where? Zechariah. All right. The kids sang it for us two weeks ago this morning. <laughs> Zechariah 9. And I think we often stop at verse 9, and we also need to read verse 10. So Zechariah 9, would somebody read 9 and 10? saying, your king isn't here yet, but when he comes in the future, this is how you'll recognize him. He's going to be coming in on a donkey. Okay, so how many dots do you have to connect? Here comes Jesus, riding on a donkey, into Jerusalem. What is he saying? I'm the king of Zechariah 9, not only your king, verse 9, the king of the whole world, verse 10. That's quite a statement made by how he arrived. So I, some of you were here when I've shared this before, but um, we used to have a, a pilot for IBP, uh, now Tyson. But he told how a guy drove from Yankton to Sioux City, which is an hour drive, got on the corporate jet, flew to Sioux Falls, which takes 10 minutes by jet, <laughs> so he could get off on a jet instead of coming in his family minivan. Why do you do that? You want to make a statement. I'm arriving, woo, look at me. All right? 
I get off this cool jet and not just the soccer mom van. Or whatever he drove. I don't know what he drove, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just picturing soccer mom van. <laughs> Which wouldn't be an impressive arrival if you're trying to impress somebody. But So here's Jesus saying, it doesn't look impressive, but what he's claiming by it is very impressive. I'm the king of the world. Right now. So any comments or questions on why Jesus is coming in on a donkey of all things? Okay, let's read 36 through 38 of Luke 19. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks out on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay, so the crowd obviously picked up on what's going on. They're calling him a king that comes in the name of the Lord. Why are they spreading their coats on the road? I've been to a lot of parades. I've seen Santa come down. I've seen you know, the mayor. I've seen lots of people. I've never seen anybody throw their coats on the street. Kind of a sign of honor. Yes. Yes, so um, it's a way of a royal welcome. Second Kings 9.13, they are spreading their coats on the road before King... I got a cheat. Which king is it, folks? How about... That is always a good guess. That is always a good guess. Yehu! Yehu, the son of Jehoshaphat. So we, got, we could have gone with that too, but a lot of J's. Um, or, you all remember from history, Sir Francis Drake, the queen, right? He lays down his cloak over the mud puddle. Why does he do that? So I'd rather have my coat get dirty than have the queen's feet get muddy. So just a way of showing honor. Right now, be the equivalent of rolling out the red carpet for a celebrity or VIP. So, so just a way of showing honor. Why are they joyfully praising God with a loud voice? Well, not yet. I mean, we're coming to that. But what does the text that we've seen so far tell us? Why? They saw the miracles or the mighty works. Very good. So they've seen some miracles, including if you put together John's account in John 12, what is the one they just saw most recently? Healing of the blind man at Jericho. I'm thinking it's Lazarus from the dead. If we look at John 12. So you're right, but yeah, he's still in Jericho there. He hasn't got to Jerusalem yet. So I'm wondering if there's... I don't know how to put that together, actually. What's closer? Was Lazarus was between Jericho and, and then... The well, it, it just sounds like when you read John's account in 12 of Palm Sunday, it's coming right off of Lazarus, and that the crowd is speaking of that particular miracle and no we don't have any hints that they're talking about 
Bartimaeus back in Jericho, which is several miles away. So I'm going to go with Lazarus, maybe Zacchaeus, not sure, but in John 12, at least, it looks like the raising of Lazarus. Okay? And sometimes it's tricky to put the four Gospels together and get the exact sequence of things. So that's, that's true for everybody. <laughs> sometimes we're like, okay, um, were there two blind men or one blind man? Um, it's a little tough sometimes. And there's always plausible solutions. So like, don't throw your four Gospels out because you can't figure out some of the details sometimes. It just, there's, there's ways that make sense. Uh, sometimes we just need to rely on people smarter than us to show us how to put the, get them together. And I didn't, didn't even think of um, Bartimaeus, so somebody needs to put that together. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going on what we can know for sure. Verse 39. Somebody read that, please. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Okay, what does the word rebuke mean? Condemn. What? Condemn. Condemn? Okay, right. It's criticize sharply or express strong disapproval. <clears throat> so what's behind that rebuke? Disbelief. Okay, yeah, that's the, the heart. <clears throat> what don't they believe? Mark? They don't believe he's the king. Right. They don't believe he's the king, and if he's not the king, then he certainly doesn't deserve this kind of welcome coming in, and he's not worthy of the kind of praise that's getting lavished on him, right? So, this is one, like, I think I shared this on Palm Sunday, but um, Jesus does not rebuke his disciples, like a quarterback quieting down the home team crowd because it's like, you know, or, and he doesn't apologize, like, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, they're getting carried away, you know, they're making a big deal here. He says in verse 40, this is your cue, Alondra, do 40. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. All right, isn't that just a beautiful verse? So what is Jesus saying about himself by saying that? Yes, not only from people, but from whom? Creation or, itself. Yeah. I'm worthy of the praise of all people and all creation. Because I'm the creator of all things, right? So, um, here's Matthew Henry. Whether men praise Christ or not, he will and shall and must be praised. If these should hold their peace and not speak the praises of the Messiah the stones would immediately cry out rather than that Christ should not be praised. So, as we go into the worship service this morning, you just need to be aware that the rocks are on standby. <laughs> They're on standby alert. If this bunch of professing Christians won't raise their voices in joyful praise to King Jesus, you guys are on. Is that what's been up with the wind? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Maybe the wind is praising him these days. I don't know, but, um, but, but that's just how worthy he is. You know, we're not doing Jesus a favor, you know, trying to make him feel good. He's worthy of that kind of praise. He himself knows he's worthy of that kind of praise and expects that kind of praise and won't rebuke people for praising him. He rebukes people for not praising him. 
So anyway, just a little thought as you be going to the worship service. Any questions or thoughts about Palm Sunday? Well, Palm Sunday isn't only about joy. Let's read 41 to 44. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, and surround you and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So why is Jesus weeping? Because of the rejection of Jerusalem. Because Right, and then you're right, and what will happen because of that? They're going to be destroyed. Utter destruction. Right? So we know from history, AD 70, Titus came to Jerusalem and just leveled the city, killed lots of people, and fulfilled what Jesus is talking about as far as one stone not left on another. It, uh, it was pretty brutal. And Jesus knew that was coming. And he knows why it's coming. Namely, it's a judgment on their unbelief and rejection. They don't want the way of peace. They didn't recognize their day of visitation. Um, in fact, let's read Matthew 23, 37. This is, gives us a little another look at what's going on. Matthew 23, 37. So the problem isn't Jesus not inviting them to come. What a tender picture. I'm a mother hen wanting you to run under my wings. This is this, the king of the universe <laughs> that's worthy to be praised by rocks and people using the image of I'm like a mother hen in a good way. And why weren't they flocking under his wing? The offer was sincere. Not willing. <laughs> right? Remember in John 5, you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. So yeah, whoever will may come. We're all unwilling <laughs> until God changes our hearts, even if life is at stake. We'd rather not come to Jesus and not have life than go to Jesus and have life. Yeah, right. So here's, here's a little thought question. When we've had a half hour to wake up, your coffee should have kicked in by now. How do you put together the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 28, 18, right? And therefore could prevent this destruction from happening in AD 70, and yet he's weeping over the destruction he could prevent. 
How do you put that together? Well, I recognized him from birth, so they didn't perceive him the way somebody that didn't really Jesus' death will be the prime example of that. That's the ultimate evil that's ever happened on planet Earth. It was the death of the Son of God at the hands of sinners. And it says God ordained that um, in both Acts 2.23 and Acts 4. Um, so here's a couple of verses I was thinking of to go along with trying to get at that. Um, would somebody read Ezekiel 18.23 and 32? Ezekiel 18, 23, and then 32. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, <clears throat> and not that he should turn from his ways and live. Okay, and 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who died, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Yes, yeah, so what do you make of those verses? I'm not sure if I heard it correctly when we read in Luke, but it almost sounded like Jesus was saying, like, this was your last chance, and if you had just believed it, you could have been saved. But I don't think it's exactly what he's saying, but it just kind of sounds like he could, people could have repented and they had a long time to do it, but they didn't. So, so at the very least, they're accountable yeah, right. for their stubborn unbelief and loving darkness instead of light. So, yeah, the God's sovereign purposes don't annul our responsibility. Um, Let's look at another verse, 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. Somebody read that, please. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so here's both Ezekiel 18 and 2 Timothy 9 saying God takes no pleasure and he's not willing that any perish. Okay, And yet we know people do perish and they're responsible for perishing. So, um, here's an illustration that I think might help and that is when Caleb, our youngest, was probably... Five-ish, six-ish. Um, he had done something worthy of a spanking. And um, I said, Caleb, I wish I didn't have to spank you. And he said, Dad, you're the head of the house. You don't, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which I told him, you know, I'll, I give you credit for quick thinking. That, that is, that's good. I'm still going to spank you, and here's why. 
I don't take any pleasure in spanking you, Ezekiel 18. I'm not willing in one level, wish I didn't have to do this. But there's something I value more than not doing something I don't enjoy doing, namely upholding the rules of this home and enforcing them and meeting out consequences when they are broken. So I will still spank you. I don't enjoy it. You won't enjoy it. But it will happen. Okay? And I think that's potentially helpful in understanding Ezekiel 18 and 2 Peter 3.9 and that God doesn't save everybody and has a sovereign purpose over everything. God's highest end is not to save everybody. Could he? Yes. He doesn't. Why? And my closest answer is Romans 9, that it's display the full range of his attributes, that there would be no category for his power and his wrath and his righteousness and his holiness if all were just swept into heaven, no questions asked. That it, it highlights his glory as to the vessels of mercy, that there's a contrast. The diamond shines brighter on the black velvet than it would just by itself. That's one of those, the secret things belong to the Lord, the things revealed belong to us and our children. I don't know the fullest answer to that, but we have to just take text at face value that G the same Jesus who could prevent this destruction of Jerusalem doesn't prevent it and weeps over it. So we just need to be able to expand our concepts of the character of God and the character of Jesus to include all of that and not just... Yeah, he's gonna. Oh, they're gonna get theirs because they did. They rejected me, so bam. No, that's not Jesus, and it's not. His weeping just overrules everything. Like I feel sorry for them, so I'm gonna withhold the judgment they deserve. No, that's still gonna fall. So we have to try to keep as well informed view of everything the Bible says about everything about God. He's all his attributes all the time. He's 100% holy, 100% righteous, 100% wise, 100% 100% of the time. It's not some days he's wrathful, some days he's loving. It's He's all of his attributes all the time. He's not chopped up into parts. He's one God perfectly in all those things. Does that make sense? As much as it can. As much as it can, yeah. <laughs> Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways, your thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. So, so we shouldn't be surprised when we run into texts like this to go, whoa, <laughs> and scratch our heads and like, I'm not sure how to fully explain that or understand that. That's okay. There's a number of things in the Bible like that. <laughs> but let's just not take anything out that the Bible says because we don't understand it. I think it's also good to, to read texts and not try to put a system on your Bible. Amen. Because I think if you have a certain view of, of how God saves, that can logically pour out into, well, then that means something else. But like you, the text you've already read, and the one I always think of in Psalm 147 is, he binds up the wounds of the broken heart. And so the same God that allows discipline is the one that walks with you through it and binds your heart while it's happening. I mean, we have to have a bigger view of God and not just try to systematize and categorize everything and say, well, he can't be this because we think he's that. 
just, we, like you said, we've got to think so much bigger than that. Amen. Let the text speak for yourself. And I would say, on behalf of the Bible study, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I say that's one thing as a teacher, you've always done well. This is, you've never put a system over the text. And I appreciate that sitting in here today. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, we're not beholden to text or systems, we're beholden to the Bible. <laughs> and so let's just be faithful to what it says and to amen with what it says. Let's have a bigger view of God. Well, is it that look, God look. also just given his, or given you your own will to actually love him and accept him? I mean, that's your decision ultimately, right? Okay, so we are called to believe in Jesus. We willingly, freely reject Jesus. We love darkness and hate light, yeah. so we won't come to the light, John 3. So until and unless something miraculous happens to change our heart so that we now want Jesus, we will stay uh, morally responsible as rejectors of Christ. We are freely choosing not to come to Christ. Nobody's making us stay away from Christ. We're not tied up, and he says, come over, and we can't because I physically, it's I'm morally unable, just like the rich young ruler was not willing to follow Jesus on Jesus' terms. That's a moral slavery that he couldn't free himself from in his own strength. That's all of us, for whatever reason, we can't come to Christ until and unless he works in our hearts to enable us to believe and come. Lori, I think you had a question. Oh, I was just going to say that um, passages like, or stories like that we have now, like Job, where we can kind of think, okay, we don't see everything, just mm. like Job didn't see mm. what was happening in the, you know, Satan coming before, you know, that kind of helps us to rest, me, to rest, knowing that God's purposes are beyond what I can, right. you know, and just take those sections that I don't understand or confusing and just say, I can just, like you said, the, those things that are revealed to us and our children and then things that are hidden. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't Job have had a much easier time if he just knew what we knew as the readers? Okay, Job, this is just a test. <laughs> um, it, it's not about you and, and having sinned, you know, so don't listen to your friends coming and saying it's, you must have done something terrible, that all these bad things have happened to you. Um, this is a, a God showing Satan that you... He, is, God, is worthy to be loved and feared and trusted whether he provides all the good things of life or not. That's what this is about, Job. So just want to give you a heads up. It's going to be really rough for a while. And you'll get it all back and then some later. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that make Job's life a lot easier to bear? He doesn't get any of that information. Only the readers get that. So, thank you, Lord. That's a great point. Of We don't see the whole story of, of any of our lives. We get bits and pieces and maybe have some educated guesses of what's going on, but there's just a whole lot more going on behind the scenes that we can't even imagine. And someday, God will reveal it to us, and we'll go, wow, God, that was an amazing plan. I had no idea. And he'd probably say, of course you didn't. <laughs> because I'm infinite and you're not. So, yeah, so God is bigger, life is bigger, everything's bigger than what our little teeny little microscopic slice that we can see with our eyes is. And so let's just pray, God, expand, expand.
expand our vision of you, expand our vision of what you're doing in my life and in this world, and you know that I honor you as you do instead of questioning or doubting or taking my fist at you or whatever. Um, you do all things well, including destroy Jerusalem, which is a stretch sometimes, right? You know, when he gives you a big raise, <laughs> you do all things well, Lord. Wow, that was, that was cool. You're going to destroy Jerusalem and kill a lot of people? Is, this, is God still doing all things well or just some things well? It's all. So, yeah, that's enough to chew on for a while, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, let's finish 19, shall we? Back in Luke 19, would somebody read 45 and 46? And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay. So um, what was going on that Jesus got so upset about? There were merchants in the temple. Right. So Mark and Matthew give us a little fuller account that there's all this buying and selling going on. And apparently the background was, okay, you're coming for Passover. You have to make sacrifices. Well, if you're coming from Galilee, do you want to bring your sheep all the way down, 100 miles to Jerusalem, um, and feed it on the way and take care of it and, and then bring it? Or... Would it just be easier to just go to the temple, there's a lamb for sale, you buy it, give it to the priest. Just So there's this marketplace in the temple, buying and selling sacrifices, uh, money exchange, all this kind of stuff, and it had turned into what Jesus calls a den of thieves. <laughs> um, and it was supposed to be what? Right, and what, is, what does he call this place? His house. My father's house, right? This is my father's house you're doing all this in. Just quite a claim too, isn't it? Not our father's house, it's my father's house. I'm the unique son of God. This is his house. You've corrupted it. Okay, and then 47 and 48. Somebody read that. Okay, so here's two opposite responses to hearing the teaching of Jesus. What's, what's one? Some were hanging on his words. Yeah. Don't you love that picture? John 7.46 says, No one ever spoke like this man speaks. They're hanging on his every word. So wouldn't that be a good heart attitude as we have our own quiet times or in our Sunday school class or in the worship service. Just hang on every word that Jesus has to say in his word to us. And then the other one is what? To destroy him. <laughs> Let me get rid of him. <laughs> so that's pretty opposite. Um, so nobody, I'm going to think in this room, would be thinking, yeah, I want to get rid of Jesus. Um, I want to hear his words. But 
So let's be in the camp of hanging on his every word. Let's be like Mary, as in Martha and Mary, sitting at his feet, listening intently to his words. Let's be like that. So maybe that's a good place to end, and we'll pick up chapter 20 next week. So Patrick, would you close this in? Yeah. <clears throat>